Hello, podcast listener. You have picked a great episode of JJ Meets World. Tucker and I share our favorite overrated and underrated movies in very specific genres. And we invite you to check out our Facebook page where you can actually tell us what's overrated and underrated. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode of JJ Meets World is brought to you by Natalie Deutsch of Hatch Realty. Natalie has a proven track record to get your home sold faster and for more money. She is consistently focused on her clients' needs and wants throughout the entire process and make sure that they are well taken care of. If you're looking to buy or sell, reach out to Natalie today. On average, Natalie sells a home every 3.74 days. That's at least two a week. And last year, Natalie earned her clients on average over $4,000 above list price on their homes. And you don't have to take our word for it. Here's some of the great reviews Natalie has received. I was overwhelmingly impressed with Natalie and all the Hatch team. She was very responsive and responded to all of the emails within an hour. She gave great advice and encouragement from the listing and pictures, the offer and all the closing details, the marketing team knew exactly how to promote my property and I was pleased by how soon and easily my property received an offer. I was actually dreading selling my condo and Natalie did such an awesome job that I felt like I really didn't need to do anything. The thing I most appreciated was that she really listened to what I wanted to do and respected my decisions. I would definitely recommend Natalie and all the Hatch Realty team. They made this process so wonderful. That was from Diane. So listen, if you're in the mood to buy or sell a home, give Natalie a call right now. You can reach her at 701-388-9338, Natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E, at HatchRealtyFM.com, or you can go to LiveFargoMoorhead.com, that's LiveFargoMoorhead.com, and find out some information. Huge thanks to Natalie Deutsch of Hatch Realty for sponsoring JJ Meets World. One, two, three, four. J.J. Gordon, sort of like that Indiana Jones in that he's always snipping out his next adventure. Yes, he is! He's always interviewing guests so he can have them on his show and they can talk about pop culture, arts, and leisure. J.J. has his flag unfurled and he likes his french fries curled and he's fun and then he twirls as he goes to meet the world. He will march into the rain even if his ankle sprain. Take a peek inside his brain. This podcast is called J.J. Meets World. Well, JJ, I got you some DC. I, I saw that. I thought you needed some. I appreciate that. I needed, I needed some Pepsi. Some Pepsi. I was going to get you a can, but there were no cans of DC. Oh, that's They had cans of Surge and other Coke products, but no DC. But no, no Diet Coke? No. Uh, you know, Tucker, it's funny that you got me a Diet Coke at the beginning of this. We're recording, right? We are. Like this is going. Yeah. Because... I enjoy Coke products and you enjoy Pepsi products mm-hmm. as far as the mainstay of the brand. A real summer concerned. winter relationship. Mm-hmm. But it it kind of brings to mind the fact that we're two different people mm-hmm. and we have two different opinions, right? It's when it comes to taste, when yeah. it comes to s- some movies. Sometimes they, they converge. Yeah, every now and then. Also, side note, this is for people both within our listening audience and outside of it. Tucker and I frequent a downtown Chinese buffet <laughs> after uh, after doing this. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's called King House. King House Buffet. And it's delicious. Remember I said the word delicious. <laughs> so the health department was called in because there was a rumor going around social media that they were keeping live chickens in the basement. 
Which and, is a no-no if you're food service. R- well, yeah. Because they yeah. create waste. Right. And also, like, and carry I hope you're not slaughtering in your basement <laughs> and serving upstairs. <laughs> so they went in, and they're like, everybody, we did not find live chickens. You can all settle down. And then so finally one person goes, well, what did you find? And they said, well, we found a bunch of caged pigeons. Live pigeons. And they were like, oh, well, that's way worse. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, I, it was a topic of conversation around my office today about, will you go back to eat a King's house? And I was like, absolutely. Yeah. They said they didn't serve the pigeons. Well, I mean, I know where they get their food from. It's that big truck that drives around that says Asian foods on the right. side. That's where they're getting their food. They're not slaughtering the food there. My guess then is that either they have a side business of pigeon fights. So or someone was like, you know how in the wire, how Marlo kept that that chicken or that uh, pigeon coop up on the top of the building mm-hmm. and he had one of the neighborhood kids like feed and take care of the pigeons. I think it's something like that. So apparently, so I, I this is secondhand knowledge. But you've got more inside info. I do have more inside info. They were actually keeping them for uh hunters to buy as far to train birding dogs. Really? Yeah. So huh. there would be a live bird that they could train for birding. So, which is a side business, right? It's yeah. a side business. You're running out of the basement of your buffet. So the health department is like, well, that's not allowed. You're going to have to get rid of these pigeons. And in their Facebook post, they said it was a, it was a silly choice to allow one of our employees to keep pigeons in the basement. Be like, we all agree. Yep. We all agree. Yep. And I'm also, not gonna stop going I back. love your lemon chicken. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really like, good. The Hawaiian chicken. Oh my God. It's out of this oh, world. Oh, yes. They and also, if it's Hawaiian pigeon, I don't really care. They also do what? Is it the snow shrimp or whatever? The, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. it's so good. They also, they've done like great things with uh, their lobster rolls mm-hmm. there. Really good. And I like, because you don't get the whole roll. They cut them into little sections so they right. get extra crispy. Right. Something about their general cho is real good. Yeah. Eat at King House Buffet. In fact, King House Buffet is special to me because that's where I met the one and only Flavor Flav. Oh, really? That's where I met him. Oh. It was back when I worked at the Fargo Theater, which okay. is just about a block away in downtown Fargo from the King House Buffet. And I was block on- is the pigeon flies. <laughs> yeah. And I was I was on my dinner break and I thought I'd actually walk down to Subway. And as I'm walking down, I see this big, this group of guys come out of what used to be a pool hall downtown. And in the middle of them was Flavor Flav. And I realized, oh my God, that's right. Public Enemy is playing in town today. And so I followed them and they ended up walking into King House. And so I went in that way and bought a, a buffet pass. And then as I walked in, I noticed that Flavor Flav was essentially holding court like in the lobby and he had fans walking up to him and shaking hands. And so I knew it was cool to do that. So I, I, I kind of walked up to him and I caught his eye and I said, Hey Flav. And he walked up to me and put out his hand and I shook his hand. He had a big clock hanging around his neck. Oh, he had the clock. He had the clock on. He wasn't wearing a Viking helmet, but he had the clock mm-hmm. on. And I said, hey, Flav, just wanted to say I'm a big fan of your music, and I also like watching your TV show, because Flavor of Love was on at Mm -hmm. the time. And he said, thank you, man. Uh, God bless you and your family during this holiday season, because it was Christmas season. And I said, thanks, you too, Flav. And then I went and I had my meal, and I ran back to the theater and started calling all my family members, telling them that Flavor Flav had blessed us for Christmas. Oh, was it the best Christmas ever? It was. So go to King House, because you'll meet Flavor Flav. Yeah, and I doubt that Flavor Flav would care much if there are pigeons in the basement. No, I think he'd probably prefer it. Yeah. <laughs> like, can I get a pigeon or two to go as well? Oh, okay. It's for the show. 
Uh, okay, so let's get into this thing. So let's start. So I want you. I've got a list of film genres in front of me. We should describe what what it is we're doing today. Because should we're, we? We're, we're guestless you think, today. You think people are gonna just it's, not go along with the ride? You know, you and I are raw dogging it today. We're not doing it with a guest. Raw dogging it. It's exactly <laughs> the way I wanna. People be like, did you listen to the last episode? JJ and Tucker were just raw dogging it the whole time. You know, have I ever told you my idea for a podcast? I mean, you've told me a lot of ideas for podcasts. Well, yeah. In fact, in fact, I had one today called JJ's Chicken Nugget Review, <laughs> where I review chicken nuggets, and I feel like I could get that yeah, sponsored the, the pretty JJ quick. JJ Yeah, I'd listen to, the, to that. <laughs> you think it could be part of our network here? <laughs> Absolutely. Let's get uh, that network launched. Like today's nuggets come from Burger nugget. King. How many chicken nuggets are there in town to so review? So many. You would be surprised because, like, for example, Happy Joe's, a pizza buffet, great chicken nuggets, so much so that they put them on their buffet, their pizza buffet. Okay. Uh, McDonald's, lackluster chicken nuggets. In yeah. fact, they've been in the news lately because there's some kind of trend called naked nuggets where people are peeling the breading off of them. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You do not want to know what's underneath that sheath. Right. Um, it's just processed chicken, it's just machine separated chicken. Yeah, but it's not good looking. I mean, the 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 golden brownness of the outside <laughs> is the thing that makes it palatable the to the eyes. Yeah. yeah, but it's not even skin; it's battering. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's machine separated chicken <laughs> underneath there. It doesn't have skin. It's got a gelatinous outer layer that keeps it fresh for days. Long story short, JJ and I are just hanging out together today. It's just us and you, listener. And uh, so we've got a sort of a different format for today planned. Mm -hmm. Also, I was going to just, I want to pitch this. It's called doing it. It's where I interview a guest and then we get busy. <laughs> and so, and then you get, he had list, you listen to it. Well, would you listen would, to that one? Probably. I mean, she'd probably be the first guest, right? Cause that's a guaranteed <laughs> guest. Uh, but we need to get some more boom mics <laughs> and some kind of like covering for the floor. <laughs> I don't know what that would be, but because you can't just be like straight up like heavy mill plastic because then I'd be slipping and sliding all over the place because yeah. what well, if my guess is into splooshing, which I found out is like where you like sit on cakes and stuff like that. It's very Are big really including this. Yeah. Yeah. So I think people would listen to that podcast. I think they'd be all about it and have a lot of crying. Yeah, it would be. Oh, yeah. A lot. Uh, okay. So we're going to I'm going to. Pick a genre based on a number Tucker gives me, and then okay. we're going to pick an overrated movie in that genre, in our opinions, and an underrated. Each of us will get one. So, Tucker, I need a number one through 20. All right. Well, let's go with dad's lucky number of 13. 11, 12, 13. Animated. Okay, so animated. We're looking for an overrated movie and an underrated movie. I know my overrated one right now. Go for it. It is Fievel Goes West. Mm, okay. Is that, Tell is me that, why. It's an incredibly overrated movie. So you're saying that it's not only like something you know of, but yep. it's something that enough people love. I've seen it, and I've heard so many people who love it, yeah. and I'm like, mm -hmm. how can they love this thing? It's not that good. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. and it's, it's a sequel. It's an inferior sequel mm -hmm. to a movie that um, is a national treasure, which is an American tale. And Fievel Goes West, it, 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 it feels like a straight-to-VHS film. Let's put it that way. It feels like straight to VHS as 
Where a lot of films those days. Yeah. Right? And they were always cheaper. You could always tell mm-hmm. that there was less uh, cell animation going on and the camera didn't have the kind of dynamic movement that you're used to. Um, but it, a lot of the times, if you take a franchise and then place it in the West, that's going to be a lesser film. All uh, Back to the Don't Future 3. Dare. Don't you dare. I love Back to the Future 3, but of the three, it's the it's the the least worthy. It would not lift Mjolnir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my this is overrated be a great episode. I'm really really <laughs> holding back a lot already. My, I can. I'm watching you bite your uh-huh. bottom lip. <laughs> really chewing on it. Um. So yeah, I think for overrated, I'm gonna go with Five Goes West. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna say Cars. Okay. I think Cars is the dumpster fire of the Pixar universe. You will not hear me disagreeing with you. Ooh, and you know, I think a lot of people who who appreciate Pixar are to say, why? Why did you put so many eggs in this basket? Not only did you make one, you made three of them. It's because of the the toy sales. Is it though? It's like, gotta be. I think it was John Lasseter's passion project. Was he it? was huge into that movie. So much so that when Cars 2 was announced, it was it was massive for them because Pixar had an era where they were cranking out original story after original story. Right. And then all of a sudden they dabbled in the sequel territory, which is really what dragged Disney down uh-huh. in the nineties is they were like, well, we'll just make lady and the tramp too. And we'll release it directly to VHS. We'll, you know, make uh five beauty and the beast movies that mm-hmm. don't compare at all. And so Pixar all of a sudden dips its toe into it with like toy story two. That's a huge success. In fact, I believe toy story two is a higher rating on, on rotten tomatoes than, uh, than the first one. Does. Previous podcast guest Greg Carlson considers Toy Story two to be the best Toy Story film. I agree. Yep. I agree. I, it's perfect to me in every way. So they get this feeling of like, well, we could just churn out some more money. It's the guaranteed money, right? Like they, at that point, once you have that first film and it's proven to have an audience, you know that audience is coming back for at least one more. So at that point, it's like, well, we know that if we make the sequel, we're guaranteed X amount of dollars. It's just going to happen. So I can understand making it. I just wish they didn't make it to the detriment of new other stuff. Right. Too. It's pushing other projects to the side so that this can come through. There are a bunch of Pixar films that haven't received sequels. Or did Up get a sequel? It did not. Okay. It did not. But I mean, I mean, Monsters Incorporated got a prequel, technically. Mm-hmm. They started really finding things. And then, in my opinion, that was the beginning of Pixar, like, stumbling. Now, a, a, at this point, a stu- you can't hold a studio to the point of saying, like, every movie you're ever going to make is going to be gold. Right. But... They've had more missteps, in my opinion, lately than they did in the 90s. And the safe bets are the things that can finance the unsafe bets. And right. so because they're, it costs just millions and millions and millions of dollars to make one of these films, I get why they go the safe route. But yeah, you, it's like, how much money do you need to make before you take another risk, before you trace something else? You know what I would love to see would, would be to see like Pixar and uh, Marvel Studios team up in some way. Because Marvel Studios has now figured out, you know what, changing up things and taking new risks is actually profitable. It's actually something that keeps your audience around for a while. And since the the, the Pixar movies all seem to live in some kind of shared universe, 
I mean, have they? I know that you, you see crossover points, but I don't think they've ever made a movie that treats it like a shared universe. No, which you, you kind of hope they, that they do at some point I hope because so. it's amazing. I mean, if you can have, you know, Woody team up with Sully, that'd be pretty sweet. That would be pretty sweet. I'd like that. But cars. So, cars. But- to me, here's the thing. Here's the pitch session. Yeah, it's a movie about Americana where cars are peoples. <laughs> uh, can I please have $30 million? Sure, John Lasseter. Oh, hooray! <laughs> and at that point, they were going to greenlight anything that those guys did because they were churning out hit after hit after hit. I'm sure somewhere down the line, this movie means something to somebody. Yeah. But it does not mean anything to me. And in fact, it feels like it is cheapening and and placating to me on my love of this world we've forgotten off the highway. You know, it's the interstate system has ruined everything. Just nope, 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 nope. Although I do think this movie was part of Michael Keaton's comeback really into like a list status. So that's the one thing I will give to cars. Owen Wilson's voice work, <laughs> Paul Newman's voice work, Larry the Cable Guy, <laughs> Cars is an overrated animated movie. Do you have an underrated animated movie? The, I've been running through a couple of them in my head right now. The one that I think I'm going to latch on to is The Great Mouse Detective. Oh, lovely. Okay. Have you ever heard the story behind that? Mm-mm. So uh, The Great Mouse Detective is nearly done. It's three quarters of the way done. And Jeffrey Katzenberg is hired by the Walt Disney company. And he comes in and he starts making changes. And he says, well, we need to edit this out and edit this out. They go, uh, this is an animated movie. You don't edit. What are you just going to do? Reshoots? Right. Exactly. You don't do this. And he goes, watch me. It was also originally entitled, uh, Basil of Baker street. Okay. And he said, no, no, no. People won't understand what that is. People don't understand who Sherlock is. So he came up with the name The Great Mouse Detective, which spawned Disney animators and story people to rename Disney's other greatest hits. So like, yeah, let's dumb it down for the general public so that they understand. And so like, what they were, oh God, I'm, I'm going to find one specifically here. So tell me why you think The Great Mouse well, Detective. It, so I, I, I feel that it's underrated mostly because you never hear about it. And I remember the impact it had on me as a kid when I watched it. I watched it in Kentucky at Mama Luke's house because um, she kept a library of uh, VHS tapes of animated stuff for all of us grandkids when we come over. And I remember early on, there's actually a vicious attack on one of the characters in the movie. And it, you see it happen in shadow silhouette. And I remember that scene freaking me out so much as a kid. It felt so violent and raw that I got really invested into the, into the rest of the movie. Excuse me. I didn't know that about the history you were talking about, so I, I, I'll have to revisit the movie, but I remember it having such an impact on me that I don't understand why we don't hear about it more often. Um, I think it's because it was Katzenberg kind of wanted to bury this movie because mm. it wasn't part of his era, and he's given a lot of credit for the Disney Renaissance. Okay. So everything from The Little Mermaid to Lion wow. King, Aladdin, stuff like that. Uh, and then, you know, then he tanked it at the end. In fact, at one point he was talking about how Lion King was this experimental movie and we really don't care about it that much. But Pocahontas, this is where it's going to be. Um, here's a couple of reasons I love that movie. Number one, I'm a huge fan of DuckTales. Mm-hmm. And 
Alan Young, who provides the voice of Scrooge, also provides the voice of the little girl's father oh, okay. in this. And I think so, that's who gets attacked. I believe is, yeah. that's the, he gets attacked by the villain. And he's kidnapped because they're making a machine. Yep. I think also this movie was the lesser of the mouse movies that came out at that time. Like because the, like the it, Rescuers? Well, no, 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 the rescuers was even a little earlier, but this is also the same era as an American tale. Oh, okay. And right. an American tale comes through, and in that, they're building a contraption that looks like a cat, the right. same way Radigan is building this other machine. So I completely understand where you're coming from mm-hmm. on this. Starking visual, you know, stark visuals. The scene that takes place in that toy store, do you remember that? Yep. yep oh, yep. That, that scene terrified me with the bat. Ugh, I just gross. I like watching these movies when at, at that point we never would have even fathomed that we would be getting Pixar level 3D animated films. Yeah. That we thought this is as good as it's ever going to get. But you know what? Sometimes I think back then was even better. I loved hand-drawn animation. Okay. So this was uh, in inner office communication, February 13th, 1986, sent to the animation department. Along with the new title for Basil of Baker Street, Basil of Baker Street, it has been decided to rename the entire library of animated classics. The new titles are as follows: Seven Little Men Help a Girl, <laughs> The Wooden Boy Who Became Real, Color and Music, The Wonderful Elephant Who Could Really Fly, The Little Deer Who Grew Up, The Girl <laughs> The girl with the see-through shoes, the girl in the imaginary world, the amazing flying children, two dogs fall in love, the girl who seemed to die, puppies taken away, the boy who would be king, a boy, a bear, and a big black cat, Aristocats, Robin Hood with animals. Two mice save a girl, a fox and a hound are friends, the evil bonehead. It's pretty amazing, right? Uh, Aristocats. Yeah, I love how that one doesn't even need to get renamed. It doesn't get changed at all. So when I think of underrated Mm -hmm. animation, I think of, uh, ironically, the person you went to for overrated, which is Don Bluth. Okay. Who did an American Tale, an American Tale, Fievel Goes West. Gosh, uh, the, the Land Before Land Time. Before Time movies, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Yep. So he had one that I loved when I was younger called Rock-A-Doodle. Yes. Rock-A-Doodle yep. is a high, high quality film that does a couple of things. Number one, it blends live action with animation because you start out in a live action situation. Mm-hmm. It's set on a farm that's flooding. And I think in our neck of the woods, we can really relate to that, that rural struggle right. that everyone goes through. The music is amazing uh, because you are getting some of the best tunes ever. For example, uh, there's, of course, Rock-A-Doodle, which is the name of the movie. But um, you also end up with, uh, okay, what's it? Uh, They're Running Out, which (laughs) which is a uh, a song about a uh, battery-powered flashlight that's running out of batteries. That was the thing I kept thinking of because uh, so the the other members of the barn, is it owls that they're worried about that's on the roof? Owls are going to take over. They're essentially, they've created this ultimate night when they've tricked the the rooster who lives on this farm who's got an amazing singing voice to say, we don't need you. The sun will rise without you. And he leaves disgraced Mm -hmm. and the sun doesn't rise again mm-hmm. once Chanticleer is gone and Chanticleer voiced by Glenn Campbell, which you would think would have global catastrophic 
uh, huge. Like that would like that's that's a pretty powerful rooster. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. But it only affects this one farm apparently, <laughs> and they're going to eat all the animals. Uh-huh. Is the plan because the owls hate the light, and then Christopher Plummer is the voice of the main, the Grand Duke, uh, and then Eddie. Oh, I can't remember what his name is, um, but uh, there's this old, there's this like nerd character that they based uh, this little tiny uh, bird, like his nephew, mm-hmm. character off of, and then he's voiced by um, Charles Nelson Riley, and who you might remember from. Hollywood squares is like the, he had big glasses and he's, he's always talking about people like this. And he's okay. Charles Nelson, Riley, Alec Baldwin does an amazing impression of him, but this movie, the music in it, the story in it, everything I loved in Rockadoodle. Now he's got an Elvis persona. Yep. Right. So he go, when he's banished or when he leaves the farm, he goes to the big city and now all of a sudden he is the king and he has this Elvis look to him mm-hmm. and he's got a, a like a shitty manager who's <laughs> manipulating him from behind the scenes and they want to get him to stay there. They don't want these little animals to convince him to come back to the farm because our main character who's a boy in the beginning has now been turned into a little kitty cat. You know, it's weird. I've actually been on this really strange Elvis kick lately. Really? And I've never been a fan of Elvis. You know, he always, as a kid, even he seemed like just really cheesy and not a thing I would listen to. But uh, I don't remember how it came across my YouTube feed the other day. But I found a performance of his in 72 when he was performing uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water live. And it is breathtaking how good it is. And I realized that I had never really given him a solid listen before. So now I'm kind of, you know, listening to different eras of Elvis and I, you know, nothing that that's really hooking me the way that performance of Bridge Over Troubled Water. But I, it's, it's, he's an icon I don't have enough knowledge of. And so I need to, need to soak it in. So maybe I should return to um, Rock a Doodle Do as part of that. You should. Absolutely. All right. Give me another number. Let's figure out so, another genre. So what was the spread here? Is from one to 20? One to 20. Well, when you turn 18, that's when you can buy porn for the first time. So let's let's go for number 18. Sci-fi. Sci-fi. Well, I, I know what mine is immediately. I, I kicked us off with animation. So why don't you give us your overrated sci-fi? Avatar. I don't know why people love this movie so much. First and foremost, it's a direct ripoff of the movie Fern Gully. Right. I am so with you. I fucking hate Ugh. avatar we saw avatar yep. together yeah in 3d yep and Blah. i remember because we saw it a couple weeks into its release yeah and this hype of the greatest movie you've ever seen the story the visuals blah blah blah, blah. when i went to that movie i thought well this is just garbage mm-hmm. i don't find it entertaining i don't in fact right now i'd be hard pressed to tell you exactly what the plot of Avatar is other than the elements that they stole from Fern Gully, which I've seen dozens of times. Unobtainium. Oh, that's, that's right. That's the element that they're going for is unobtainium. Right. They found it on this planet, and so we're going Pandora. to this planet yeah. to like dig it up. And they're the indigenous people. Right. It's sort of a an an echo friendly movie. It's about you know uh, industry coming in and destroying what is natural and good and and the the natural order of things. But yeah, the, the the movie got so popular that there was even a term for people who were depressed by the fact that it wasn't real. Ugh. Right? Like, gross. Why would you want this to be real? And people were trying to dress up as the Navi. Is that what they yeah. are? Mm-hmm. And in their, their blue skin and tall, long necks. And yeah, not for me. But 
I also think that James Cameron is incredibly overrated in general. Yeah. I mean, he's made, obviously he's a, he's a legend Terminator Titanic, all that stuff, but I'm just meh. I've never been a James Cameron fan. And the fact that they use goddamn papyrus font for the poster. Yeah, you don't like that. No one likes that except James Cameron, apparently. So, God, no, I'm with you. I wish I could just, out of the spirit of of having more movies labeled, I'm not just going to go with exactly what you said, mm-hmm. but that would have been my top pick as well. Yeah, Avatar, just start to finish. I didn't care for it. Felt like it was a ripoff. I didn't feel like the visuals were so amazingly stunning. You know, we've seen entire worlds created mm-hmm. in a computer at this point. Right. Um. So even... Here's another thing. So I don't think James Cameron ever takes a note for how evolution works, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So if in this world, <laughs> the Navi people have evolved and they've got a tail, I believe, is a, is a part of it. Yep. And, they, and a lot of stuff happens up in trees. Most of their carnivorous animals that would exist would have adapted to somehow be able to get these guys. So mm-hmm. like they have an extra hand or something to grab a tail, mm-hmm. whatever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. But he's just like, what can I make look cool under a black light? <laughs> so avatar, I'm sure someone just said unscribed, like, Nope, fuck that guy done so long. I don't know if you're going to like my pick okay. for my overrated movie. Okay. By the way, just because someone thinks something is overrated doesn't mean they necessarily dislike the movie. Correct. Right? So we, I want to be upfront about that right now. Because when I tell you that I think The Fifth Element is relatively overrated, I'm not saying I dislike the movie. I enjoy watching The Fifth Element. But it's Star Wars. Uh, but not as good. And uh, with some Stargate kind of mixed in there, too. Because a lot of the effects are cheesy in the way that the Stargate one was in a little um, rush hour right now if anything that movie gave us Mia Jovovich in that white suit so that's all it needed to do to be a good movie in my mind but I just don't latch onto it the way a lot of people really really do and I wish I could explain it better than that it's given sort of top tier status by a lot of people in the sci-fi loving community and I don't get it it doesn't innovate it doesn't really give us anything new. Um, it's not particularly uh, clever in any way. Mm-hmm. As far as visuals go, you get some cool stuff out of that. But, you know, maybe it's because I've soured on Bruce Willis. Okay. Because he has he has this uh, rep for being just an absolute pisser. Yeah, as we heard from Kevin Smith, right. Tracy Morgan. So when I think of... Like, I enjoy the movie Fifth Element, but more recently, it's kind of taken on this weird life of its own where it's starting to be merchandised a little bit. Again, like it's it's happening again. Like, yeah. Like probably people, the nostalgia throwback kind of right. thing. So like you can on like thinkgeek.com, you can buy a Lilu Dallas multipass right. and little <laughs> things like that. There are moments in that movie which I really enjoy and I have a great time watching. But then there's other parts I'm like, no. Yeah. Yeah. Who cares? Chris Tucker's got that great scene where he's the the announcer and he's running a show. And I liked that part. Um, that was also when uh, reality TV was really kicking off. So this, this guy that has, he's just got a camera with him everywhere he goes. Like he's basically set up to broadcast at any point, anytime, anywhere was pretty interesting. So in my opinion, if you think of um, Blade Runner mm-hmm. as like always happening at night, right? Everything's mm-hmm. really dark. 
it's the same world only it's daylight out That's and you get to see so much more huh. because everything is so bright in the majority of the movie so that you can see details and yeah. things like the garbage shortage and right, stuff like that. Right. You know what it's making me think of right now is a movie that I just watched recently, which was the 1993 Judge Dread with Sylvester Stallone. Oh, do tell. And Mega City One because you get a bunch of shots of Mega City One and but uh, no, that's just making me think of that right now. So I'm going to go with Fifth Element for overrated with the caveat that that does not mean I dislike the movie. Okay. But I know what my underrated one is. And I think you're one. You're going to agree with me 100%. Oh, okay. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if this was what you were going to say. If we've got say. the same one. Yeah. So I was thinking to myself, you know, it's hard to pick. Sci-fi is a hard genre to pick because it kind of bleeds into a lot of yeah different things but um if i had to put like my finger on it and i don't think we picked the same thing okay so i'm okay. gonna just put that out there. okay the more i watch it and the older this movie gets the more i enjoy it mars attacks oh uh, yeah it's not what i would have yeah. picked so mars attacks huh. is a fun it's a sci-fi comedy uh that Tim Burton did. Mm-hmm. And this is towards the end of when I enjoyed Tim Burton. He hasn't done much lately that I've been like, way to go, Tim Burton. It's an amazing, enormous cast, including Jack Nicholson in two completely separate roles. Mm-hmm. One is the president of the United States, and one is this like sleazy casino owner uh, in it as well. And in fact, like he plays that guy with kind of a deviated septum, like he's done so much cocaine over the years. <laughs> Uh, but there's Oscar winners in there. There's uh, uh, like champion uh, football players like Jim Brown <laughs> is in it. <laughs> Danny DeVito. I mean, it's got everything. And it's funny. It's also the kickoff. I believe it was one of Jack Black's first film roles. Okay. And so I'm going to rewatch this movie now. I remember watching it once and not getting into it, but it sounds you, like it's worth a rewatch. Yeah, watch it as an adult because it's very much a parody of other Martian movies. Okay. And so I get a kick out of that. It's also a great Martin Short role. Okay. Well, I think an underrated sci-fi film is also the most underrated Star Trek film, which is Star Trek for the voyage, voyage home. home. Yeah. Oh, that is my favorite Star Trek. I movie. almost want to change my answer. <laughs> You know, I understand why it by from by many Star Trek fan standards it's a lesser film because it's it takes place in the 80s. It's yeah, it was a current like present day film at the time. Right. And and you're not getting like the space battles and the space intrigue and all of that. And it's an environmentalist film. So it, the message is to save the whales, which was the the sort of cause of cause du jour of that time. And the premise is, is that Whales are actually an intelligent species that um, are related to some sort of intergalactic, you know, they have some kind of brethren that they branch off and, and speak right. with every few centuries. There, there's some sort of like cosmic power yeah. that they talk to. And then because they've been talking to it, this thing doesn't come and eat Earth. Right. And then it, it, it came looking for them and it can't find them and it's destroying everything in its path when it does. But that's where you get scenes like uh, Scotty showing how to make transparent aluminum and trying to speak into the computer's mouse. How quaint. That's how you, that's where you get Chekhov saying the asking basically a Russian in the eighties asking Americans in San Francisco where he can find the nuclear vessels. Um, that's where you get, you get bones in the hospital, like talking about kidney dialysis right. and how barbaric it is. You get Kirk learning how to use swear words and then realizing that they that they uh, don't have money and they need money. I love that movie. That's a fan, it, but that's also a movie where the Enterprise doesn't exist you, you, until the very very end, basically mm-hmm. just as the teaser for the next movie. They've got a Vulcan warbird. Yep. 
Yep, bird and, of prey. Yeah, bird that's of what prey. They've, been, they've been using it to go back and forward right. in time. And it's because it has a cloaking device, which at the time, like the Starfleet ships didn't have a cloaking device. So they're able to use that ship in present day. One thing that doesn't make sense about it, though, is they park in the middle of a park. And it's just, it's able to sit there and no one in San Francisco ends up running into it except for well, the lady. because Frisbees weren't that popular at the time. <laughs> Uh, in fact, there's a great scene where you can tell it's landing by the sound effects and it crushes two garbage cans yep. and it's kind of a cheaply done effect, but it's nice. Captain, there be whales aboard. <laughs> Love that movie. Star Trek for the voyage home, best Star Trek and an underrated sci-fi film. Oh, I like that. All right, let's keep going along. I think we got a time for a couple more here. So I've already done, we've already done two that are in the teens. So we're going to go down to single digits. Okay. Uh, my, Lucky number. I I don't know why I picked this as my lucky number as a kid, but I did. It's eight. Eight. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then eight. Oh, musicals. Uh, I'm definitely going to be out of my element here, but I can think of one. You you kick us off with both your overrated and underrated, and that'll give me a little bit of time. Okay. That's just because when it comes to musicals, uh, you know what you're talking about, and I'm I'm kind of treading water. Yeah, I've always loved the musical genre. I just love the fact that you're storytelling and using an extra element that mm. brings up you know emotions that you don't normally get in like a drama. Um, and then uh, oh, just how funny it can be to watch some people sing just tickles me start to finish. Uh, my overrated and, and we have to specify that we're talking films. Yeah. So it can't be any musical. It's a musical that was made into a right. film. So, uh, you know, most of the stuff that's been made recently, I feel is overrated. Um, oh yeah. Oh, I, I know exactly this. Mary Poppins returns. Mm. How did anybody like that? <laughs> uh, you know, Emily Blunt, bless her soul, played a Mary Poppins who is just really mean and and like rude to the kids, much closer to the P.L. Travers books where she would do things like break her fingers off and give it to the children and they turn into little like can- like candies and cookies and Whoa. junk like that. That's um, dark. It is dark. The original book's much darker. Um and so th- what they went for with this is just something that I didn't under I didn't understand. First and foremost, the kids are supposed to not remember that Mary Poppins was real. They've been, they've convinced themselves to choose a figment of their imagination, really? which doesn't make sense. And then that's some imagination that, that these kids had shared. And then Bert apparently disappeared immediately after the events of that, even though he's been the uh, you know, the chimney sweep and chalk artist uh, in their neighborhood for a long time, well, long enough that he takes the children home. Cause the running, I mean, the running theory has been that both Bert and Mary Poppins are, if not the same, then similar beings, eternal right. beings that, that move from realm to realm. And that the reason Bert switches jobs is because he's not really afraid of dying. So he wants to try everything out. But if he's leaving the moment that the original Mary Poppins leaves, that makes it sound like they're more, there's a deeper, more intrinsic link. But he was already there before Mary Poppins arrived. Right. And like, and he is this neat character who like talk. He talks to us in the audience, right? He's right. like number sixteen, right this way. <laughs> uh, and he knows, like in the one man band song, he's singing about all of the people in that neighborhood. So you feel like he's been there for a while, but then he just suddenly disappears. Like maybe Mary Poppins killed him, right? Right. Is is the Lin Manuel Mir- uh, Miranda? Yeah, is that how you say his name? Yeah. Is he supposed to be a similar being? Does he have similar powers? No. So they make Jane, grown up Jane, his love interest in this. And he is a lamplighter who knows of Mary Poppins and her magical powers. But 
you get the real feeling that he does not he does not have those powers, even though he's quite at home with among animated beings and mm-hmm. jumping into uh, cracked porcelain bowls. But you get so in this, they also introduce Mary Poppins aunt Topsy, who is played by Meryl Streep and her house turns upside down like every Thursday. And so yeah. she can't do anything because everything's upside down in her world at that time. Right. So you get the feeling that there are other magical people out in the world. And even in the original Mary Poppins, you get like uncle Albert who laughs so hard. He land, you know, ends yep. up on the ceiling, but I feel that that's because of Mary Poppins presence. And then she passes that on to things like the bank. And so mm-hmm. that's why the, the bank president can laugh. She's, and a, float she's high. a conduit to real magic. Right. And in this, they just suck it all away. <laughs> the music is lackluster. Even, uh, even Dick Van Dyke said, you know, the music's not great. Really? Like I heard him on this podcast and he goes, yeah, you know, it's, it's not as good as the old stuff was. So what is the premise of this new movie? Then I mean, is there a villain or something or what is the, yes. the goal? I'll, I'll bring it down to this. So, uh, the little boy, Michael Banks has grown up. His wife has passed away uh-huh. and he's raising his three children alone. Um, he has a housekeeper who is the younger of the two housekeepers from the original one. He okay. lives in his parents' home. His sister is, Uh, you know, working for all these causes. She's kind of taken her mother and, you know, run with the suffragette movement type idea. And because what's the era that this one takes place? This would be like in the 1940s. Okay. So maybe it's before, right before the war. Okay. I think it's probably before the right before the war. So he works at the bank. He's an artist, but he's forgotten how to do art since his wife has passed away. And he owes money on a loan he took out. Okay. And so Mary Poppins shows up to take care of his children and they realize, oh my gosh, this thing really, you know, this woman really existed mm-hmm. and she teaches the children things like, it's all right that your mom's dead. <laughs> and she sings a song about how the, you can put, you can put something away, but then eventually, you know, you'll find it again one day. And I'm like, oh, so Mary Poppins is a firm believer in heaven. Yeah. Like, is that where we're going? Uh, and she descends from the clouds. She sure does. And uh, the villain in this is the president of the bank who wants to foreclose on their house. Played by Dick Van Dyke. No. no. So he's the he's the chairman of the board, oh. but like the guy who's running the bank is Colin Firth. Oh. And they do a horrible job setting up him up as the villain because you think he's a good guy, <laughs> but then when they go into the 2D animation world, they get kind of shrifted by this wolf uh-huh. who's also voced by Colin Firth. So you're like, oh, so he's the villain. I get it. I see. Thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. He's a, he's a wolf in Colin Firth clothing. Yeah. And just the, but Dick Van Dyke shows up at the very end. So that's worthwhile. Uh, the original Jane shows up. The Mike, the original Michael doesn't because he died when he was 21 years old. I believe in a botched mugging. Oof. Someone was mugging him and uh, killed him. So, I just, it just doesn't work. Also, this is going to piss some people off. Lin-Manuel Miranda is not a movie star, and he (laughs) should maybe just stick to the stage. Uh, But you have not been a fan of him at all. No. In fact, I like Hamilton, but I don't like him necessarily in it. But even with Hamilton, you haven't been like over the moon yeah, for it. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't sucked in. Like this is the greatest musical of I all time. I was going to say, does that? I was going to say, was that going to make it your overrated? But you've already picked. Yeah, uh, Mary and, Poppins and Hamilton is not a, a, a oh, film right. yet. It hasn't yep. been turned into a film yet. So what is your underrated, underrated film musical? Yep, Hairspray. 
So it uh-huh. came out a couple of you years think that's ago. that's underrated? I do think it's underrated. I think it kind of got swept under the floor. There are people who love it, and they're the musical lovers already. And we're talking the original. We're talking the original. It has taken me so much time to convince people to watch this movie. And every time I convince them to watch it, they end up loving it afterwards. Adam Shankman does such an amazing job with these characters. And I remember watching like the trailer to it being like, Oh God, they're going to just ruin this thing. Top mm-hmm. to bottom. I saw the show in Toronto years ago and I had just an amazing time. And I thought, Oh, they're going to ruin every piece of this. What's the point? But John Travolta, the relationship he creates with his daughter in that movie, keep in mind as a like 400 pound woman in drag mm-hmm. felt real. And I felt the same thing I feel when I watch the nutty professor of this person who's being shamed for their weight and who they are and needing to feel comfortable in your own skin. Uh, The relationship he shares with Christopher Walken, who plays his husband. Oh, they've got this amazing little number they do about how it doesn't matter how old and fat you get. I'm still going to love you. It's great. The rate, you know, this movie is about how fat people are not taken seriously, but it's an allegory for race relations okay and it involves race relations queen latifah knocks out of the park in this does a great job it's got humor it's got great performances and it's a love letter to that era in the 60s john waters even shows up as a flasher in it which is a nice little throwback and they involve ricky lake they involve uh jerry um oh what's his name frank uh, frank costanza jerry stiller stiller who played the father in the original hairspray movie from the eighties. I think it's just, it's wonderful. It's a feast for the eyes. It's a feast for the ears. And I remember leaving that movie being just excited about this was so good. It was so much fun. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I know my underrated, I'm still struggling with an overrated, but my underrated movie musical would be the one and only genuine original family band. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but I know that it was not a critical darling by any stretch of the imagination. It actually receives a lot of hate because there, there isn't much of a plot, um, but the music is fun. It's a, it's the uh, um, what's his name? Kurt Russell. Yep. Young Kurt Russell. Uh, when he was, uh, he, was he was famous as a kid when, when he was shackled to the Disney corporation, <laughs> like you just keep doing our movies, the computer who wore tennis shoes, keep doing it. And who was the guy who p- played, uh, like, uh, um, the dad, he also played, he was going to be the original tin man and then couldn't do it because the makeup, yeah, he had an allergic reaction to um, it. Looks like Abraham was, Lincoln, Jed Clampett. Yep. Uh, buddy, buddy. I'm not, I'm not remembering his name, Buddy Ebsen. Now, did you know? That Kurt Russell's future and current wife is in that movie as well, really, um, as an uncredited member of the of, of the movie. So they actually that was their first movie together. Ian Goldie, huh? Goldie Hawn. There we go. I couldn't remember her name either. Um, but that movie is dear to my heart. One because there was a period of time in my childhood where every Friday, my mom is like a treat to my sister and I. Uh, she'd take us to uh, Video Land to rent a movie or two. Um, we were only allowed to rent kid friendly stuff. And oftentimes we ended up renting the old live action Disney films. That's where we saw bed knobs and broomsticks. That's where we saw all sorts of stuff. Black hole. You're picking a lot of Disney stuff. So like you, well, you're picking from the white clamshells. Yeah, huh? exactly. That's where we were going. Cause she knew that those were okay. Uh, and so the one and only genuine original family band though, also talks about uh, Dakota territory. 
in the fight over the reelection of Grover Cleveland, <laughs> which, which ties into my heart a little bit. And they end up, you know, the family ends up like making a performance at a rally. And I actually, I don't think it sways the election in any way, shape or form. I think from what I recall of the critical consensus is that there's really no story to it, but even the name, the one and only genuine original family band is a pretty awesome name. Look great on a poster. Looked great on a poster. Overrated musicals. So, I'm going to get some flack for this because I'm trying to think of a musical that's overrated. And the one that comes to mind is one I actually haven't watched all the way through and it's animated and it's frozen. Mm -hmm. And that's because I've, 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 I've listened to let it go and I've watched some sections of it and it seems like an okay movie, but, and I have to remind myself that the, the zeitgeist wasn't people like our age. It was young girls because Elsa is awesome. She's a, she's the, the, the female characters in that movie are fantastic. But from what I've heard, it's not this soaring, brilliant musical, but you, you, you tell me, am I right to pick that as an overrated one? Because I'm having, I'm struggling of thinking of a musical that I would really call overrated. All the ones I've seen all the way through, I, I wouldn't call I wouldn't say they're overrated. They're classics. And I think it's hard because we're not of an era where they're pumping out a new musical every single week. I mean, sure. You had things like there's an era where Fred Astaire, it seemed like once every two months had a movie coming out like, Hey, it's Easter parade. Right. And then it's this, and then it's this even, um, even in the fact that like in the sixties and seventies, there were more musicals, but you know, our generation wasn't watching hair and, you know, we really weren't watching Liza Minnelli and cabaret, but our, our musicals were that the Disney the, in yep. the nineties, what's his yep. name? You just mentioned at the beginning. Um, uh, uh, well, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman, their musicals along with Tim Rice and Elton John writing for, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg. But the Disney movies before that weren't musicals, right? Bambi wasn't a musical. Cinderella wasn't a musical. Yeah. But um, snow white was a musical. I mean, it had like, musical elements musical elements they, yeah they they didn't have seven major songs in them like disney eventually right. got came kind of the house style for a while right. it has to be uh you have to sell a soundtrack with it at the same time right exactly so even th- like the aristocats had you know the aristocats song by the jungle book you know the jungle book is full of music oh I, that that answers my next question i was gonna say was the lion king the first one that actually added some contemporary music but jungle book had um, Louis Armstrong and a few other yeah, Louis Prima. I'm sorry, Louis Prima. Yeah. You're right. Um, so, and he actually brought the band in and they videotaped the band and then they animated like the monkeys based on like that what was, the band looked was like. When they're still doing. rotoscoping at the, everything yeah, at the time. It was. Everything. Uh, well, so I, I, I obviously I, my, my overrated pick isn't as strong as it should be, but so I'm going to tell you something about your overrated pick. Robert Lopez, who wrote the music with his wife for frozen, You've actually seen one of his musicals. He wrote Avenue Q no with way. his partner. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I thought that was interesting that he, you know, that was his dream, right? Avenue Q is written in this style that it's supposed to be like Sesame Street or more aptly a Disney movie. I just know that by naming Frozen, you know, the, our listeners who are under the age of eight are going to be sending me a lot of really angry misspelled You're emails. Who had? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I had my dad write this for me. Also, I'm going to, I'm going to back you up a little bit on Frozen too with, you know, it wasn't a huge hit when it first came out. It was a sleeper. I remember going to it the first week in its release, maybe a dozen people in the theater. Okay. 
And it got big as soon as this idea came out like, oh, this is a very female empowering. It's about sisters. It's not about a guy, you know, coming to the rescue. But it also seems like that song, Let It Go, yep. has the right hook that got so many people going. Because uh, uh, friends of ours who are parents, like former guest Tim Larson, his daughters have been frozen crazy. And he's had to listen to Let It Go on repeat, 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 on repeat for a while now. So I kind of feel like by saying it's overrated, we're, we're giving those parents some ammunition. So mm-hmm. no, honey, we're not listening to that overrated piece of crap today. I got on a flight a few years ago and I was with previous guest, Phil Lund. And he goes, yeah, go, do you see that Frozen movie yet? And I said, yeah. And I was like, let it go, let it go. And this woman grabbed me by the arm. I was just passing by and she goes, she goes unless you want to hear that for three hours, you better stop. And her kid was working on like a little Rubik's cube or something like that. And so it is, you put, you know, you just get that tune going and then it's let it go, let it go. Well, JJ, I think we've got time for one more. All right. Let's do one more. Let me ask you this. Is there a genre that you feel we should cover in this that we haven't? I like leaning into what the universe tells us to do. Fantastic. Give me another number, my good man. We're going straight to number one. Straight to number one. Action. So I should have understood that these would be in alphabetical order, which is why sci-fi was towards the bottom. Uh, I I don't think so. Yeah. Action is okay. Yeah. Cause they move, they like had epics before drama. So overrated and underrated action movies. Oof. So I think part, so this is what showdown a little Tokyo is overrated. Have you seen showdown a little Tokyo though? Is that the one with Eddie Murphy? That's no, that's with Dolph Lundgren. Oh, oh my. Yeah. Showdown in Little Tokyo. So tell me a little bit about this Dolph Lundgren film. Okay, so there's a scene where Uh there's this woman and she's been captured by the Yakuza. And for whatever reason, she's decided to commit uh, seppuku, which is ritualistic suicide. Right. And so she's in this she's in this mafia compound under lock and key. And she's in this room and she's about to kill herself when Dolph Lundgren comes bursting into the room in some way to save her. Stops the suicide, throws her over his shoulder jumps out the window and lands on the ground after he's fallen a few stories, puts her on the ground next to him and they start running away. The Yakuza are all firing their automatic weapons at them. Mm. I mean, just they're they're the fingers on the trigger. Mm-hmm. They're letting them fly. And nothing is hitting anyone. Mm, that's too bad. They get on the other side of this parked car. Dolph Lundgren with one hand tips it on its side as though it's acting as a shield. Right. Then they keep running. So they, as they're running, the Yakuza are coming after them and they're still firing their automatic weapons and Dolph Lundgren stops and turns around. Now there's some distance between them and he waits for the Yakuza members to get up to the car and then with one shot from his pistol hits the gas tank of the car and explodes like a bomb and he kills all these Yakuza, Yakuza guys. Fuck that movie. <laughs> Showdown. And the sidekick, his sidekick in that movie is played by Brandon Lee, Bruce Lee's son. And Bruce Lee's son's whole purpose is to make Dolph Lundgren seem even manlier. And that is not a fate befitting of a son of Lee. Do you think that there was a time when Dolph Lundgren was like, I am the epitome of man? It was probably when he made uh, Kindergarten Cop 2 mm-hmm. in like 2017. Mm-hmm. I bet that was the moment that he felt that way. I think so. Mm-hmm. That's, straight to, probably. that's straight to Blu-ray. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I've actually already said what I think the most overrated action film is if you go back to episode nine of JJ meets world where we interview Jack Spade. 
Oh. I totally take a giant dump on every, not just one, every single Transformer movie out there. <laughs> what Michael Bay did with that franchise is nothing short of burning somebody's lawn and then coming on and being like, your lawn looks like garbage. Does Jackson like it merely because it's Transformers? He does. Okay. He loves the Transformers world so much that even though these movies are total and complete horse shit, <laughs> he still will give it up. And I said it then and I will say it today. These are supposedly super smart creatures from another planet mm -hmm. who've been living on Earth for a while already, yet they don't understand why Shia LaBeouf is like, you guys need to chill out. My parents can't come out here and see you. So they do a Three Stooges routine where they knock over the birdbath in his backyard. He's like, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> and then at one point, one of them pisses oil on John Turturro. <laughs> What is going on? Why are these movies so popular? I can't believe that they keep churning them out. I feel like those movies and the fast, uh, too fast, too furious movies have the same demographic for some reason. I don't know what it is about. It's just like the, the sweet looking cars go fast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that's the group that watches the transformers movies. I would like those movies. If I could look at a transformer or two transformers fighting and be able to tell where one transformer begins and the other ends. Mm -hmm. So, uh, do you, did you watch anything in the John wick franchise by any chance? Yep. They've done a wonderful job with action sequences in the John wick franchise. You can understand what's happening. You can understand. It's not these quick cuts, cut, 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 cut. But Christopher Nolan likes to shoot. Right. Like the, the action sequences and in, in especially Batman begins. Oh my God. God, mm -hmm. hate that so much, and it just drives me crazy. Yeah. So in 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 Transformers, it's even worse because I don't even understand how they're transforming. Yeah. And that should be the cool thing about this, right? It's right, like right. cool, they're transforming. Right. Um, underrated action movie. Ooh. Oh well, you know what? I'm gonna go back to an old favorite of mine, and that is the movie Way of the Dragon, starring Bruce oh. Lee. And uh, you might not know it as that name. You might know it as the name Return of the Dragon, which was the U.S. release name because the movies that he made in China didn't get released in the same order that he made them. And so oftentimes names would get switched around or totally changed entirely. So the original film was called Way of the Dragon, but it got released in the U.S. after the movie Enter the Dragon got released, which was the movie he died before it released. And so Return of the Dragon, Way of the Dragon, same thing. Um, I believe it's the first movie that he maybe directed. He was directing uh, Game of Death when he died. And I believe he directed Way of the Dragon. It's cheesy in all the cheesy ways that old Kung Fu movies are. Uh, and in China, the film industry was still figuring itself out. So you weren't able to achieve the same level of quality that um, Western studios were able to at the time. The, the resources were different. But um, you have some iconic action sequences, including the boss battle, which is Bruce Lee versus Chuck Norris in the Roman Coliseum with a kitty cat watching them. That is an epic, epic scene. Um, in, in pretty much all of the Bruce Lee movies, he's sort of the the strong guy that comes around and starts to protect innocent locals from the you know the mafioso bullies that are are ruining their businesses or stealing their stuff or, or attacking their children. And he's the tough guy that comes in and takes care of it all. 
And there are some fantastic sequences in that. Uh, and it's some great nunchuck work from Bruce Lee as well. Check out Way of the Dragon. It's underrated because it's it's an old kung fu foreign film. So it's dubbed. Um, sound effects don't work. There's weird jump cuts. The story is slow. But you see Bruce Lee in his absolute prime in this movie. Not to be missed. I have always known you to be a Bruce Lee fan. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you introduced me to a lot of Bruce Lee stuff that I had never seen before. My knowledge was uh, Enter the Dragon, mm-hmm. the movie about his life. Uh, and then you were like, no, 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 you, there's so much more. <laughs> What's the one where he's fighting his way up the tower and like so, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is in it? So that's Game of Death. And the thing with Game of Death was, so when he was shooting it, he shot. He was he was working on it before Enter the Dragon happened, and then when he was approached to do Enter the Dragon, he put Game of Death on hold. And then I don't know if he had started working on it again and then died, or if he died before he could pick it back up. But for the longest time, not much of the of what had been shot was even available. There was only a couple of scenes in the end where he's fighting Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And so I don't know who it was that that scooped it up, but then they ended up making a movie around those few scenes and they used a body double and it's awful. It's absolute just excrement. However, in the mid 2000s, I want to say all of his footage was uncovered. All the raw footage was uncovered as well as detailed notes he had made about how he felt these sequences were going to go together. And there's a, a documentary that I believe is called a warrior's journey, which is what I think I showed you where the, 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 the documentary ends with what would have been those sequences edited together. And they composed some music had the original audio dialogue and everything they put in. And yeah, the premise was, was that uh, I believe he has a sibling or someone who's been kidnapped by the Yakuza might, might not be Yakuza, but it's mafia. And uh, cause I don't think it's, it's, I don't think it's taking place in Japan, although I could be incorrect. But uh, so he he has to get to the top of this pagoda where the the victim is supposedly being kept. And on each level of the pagoda, there's a different martial arts master that he has to best. And if I remember correctly, you only see the final three. And the last one is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who is sort of a mystery man who he who has no style. And so he doesn't he's Bruce Lee is unable to figure out what kind of style adaptation techniques he would have to do. Plus this, you know, Abdul was a solid three feet taller than Bruce Lee. Almost, you know, Bruce Lee was like five foot three and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar would have been seven plus. And uh, when you get those sequences edited together in the way that Bruce Lee was envisioning, you actually see what would have been an amazing film. And that's where you get the iconic yellow jumpsuit that gets referenced in Kill Bill. That's where Bruce Lee wore that. Mm. And he's got a yellow set of nunchucks to match. Um, I know he goes and he fights Danny Nosanto, uh, who was uh, is, is basically the one still carrying the torch of the school of Jeet Kune Do, still teaches it out in San Francisco. Um, there were supposed to be a few other masters that he fights, but yeah, that's an awesome movie. That, like that, that portion of that movie is awesome. You know, my, my underrated action film is very similar. It's about a, a young foreigner who moves to a brand new town in the West <laughs> and is taught by the former sheriff of this town how to be a real true cowboy along with his best friend, the cat, and they stop all these mice from being eaten. Um, by taking out a 
John Cleese voiced cat. Real, real action heavy. Oh, there's a lot animated of animated film, right? Yeah, there's a great action sequence that actually takes place in the saloon between a John Lovitz voice spider and our main hero. So much action. I can't believe they were able to conclude it all on one VHS tape. <laughs> no, uh, does of course American tale five goes west. Yeah. Uh, no, I think, okay. So this, this, I think a lot of our stuff, I think we're going to get hate mail on this, but we're going to put it out there. That's fine. Fuck you people. The best diehard movie is not diehard one. No, you're not going to say two. It's diehard three. Okay. Diehard of the vengeance is the <sighs> best diehard movie. I actually agree with you on so, that. I was good. worried you were going to say diehard two. No. And then I was going to write you some hate mail. Diehard two is fine. It gets you to the third one. It- and that's all that you need to know. But in three, you've got Zeus. You've got Zeus. Yeah. And they've yeah. got that. We're solving riddles. <sighs> yep. Uh, Jeremy Irons. You also have the score, which takes the song. The ants go marching. Are they going after more bullion? Just like his brother was. So what it is, is, uh, or they're they, going after bullion. I don't care if his brother was or not. Are they trying to rob Fort yep. Knox? So no, it's uh, I guess it's it's technically not Fort Knox. It's the like the New York Gold Exchange. There you go. And they create this terrorist group, and that's actually a MacGuffin for you know they they have this small bomb, and then they make them think that there's another bomb somewhere else. So everyone else is running off trying to figure out where this bomb in a school is, but really they are robbing the New York Gold Exchange. You know what's really fun is the made-for-TV edit of Die Hard oh. with a vengeance. So there's this infamous scene and I'm not going to say the word, but so they're messing with McLean. They're trying to put him in dangerous situations, the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And so um, they make him go to a neighborhood that's predominantly black and he wears a sign placard with this uh, racial epithet on it. this really offensive slogan um, that says, I hate blank on it. Obviously the intention being that someone's going to see him and try to take him out. And, uh, <laughs> And in the made-for-TV edit, uh, the sign says, I hate everybody. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then as he's, he's so he's out there, and this is how Samuel Jackson's character Zeus meets him, because first he confronts him to go, hey, man, what are you doing? You're going to get killed out here if you wear that. And then he ends up defending him from um, some fellows outside who want to take him out. <laughs> but just seeing that, hey, guys, look at this guy here. He says he hates everybody. <laughs> You know, there. I would love to know the year that the memo went around Hollywood studios being like, hey, everyone, you know how you make a lot of money with a movie is selling the syndication rights. Right. So that this can air on TNT all the time. But we really can't do that with a lot of our R-rated movies. We've just been hacking chunks out of them. Maybe what we should do is we should film two takes of certain stuff so that we've got a television take and then we've got a movie take, which makes it much easier than the poor sons of bitches who are going in there and like redubbing stuff. Have you ever watched stuff that's just redubbed horribly? I'm sick of these mother-loving snakes on this Monday to Friday plane. (laughs) Yep. Um, I don't understand why why you don't just bleep. Yeah, why not fine. just bleep? We're fine. That's with it. totally fine. We don't need to not hear a bleep or just blur out that section. Totally fine. If anything that makes me go, well, now I want to track down the real movie and, and hear that. My uh, older uh, brother Brian, f- growing up only ever had a made for TV version of Goonies to watch. So he had no idea that like chunk let some F bombs fly when, when he messes up the the Sunday that he's like pressing against the, the milkshake, he's pressing against the glass. So I watched it with him years later, uh, the actual cut. And he was like, what, what, <laughs> what is going on? Who made this version? 
I'm trying to think. I had only ever seen <coughs> Shawshank Redemption on television until I worked at a video store. And one Sunday morning, I was like, I need a movie to pop into the store system that plays all throughout Take Two Video. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm going to put in Shawshank Redemption. This movie's great. It's a couple hours long. So I pop it in, and I'm helping this guy who's returning videos, obviously on the way home from church. And uh, they get into one of the sequences where there is a lot of swearing, a lot of cursing. The movie's definitely rated R. Definitely, definitely rated R. Um, so as we wrap this thing up, uh, folks, I, I, if you disagreed with me, that's great. But if you agreed with me, that's even better. Uh, that's the beauty of opinions when it comes to movies, right? There are movies that people want to champion and then other ones that we want to just kind of forget. Right. And the fastest way to, to weigh in on this would be to check out our Facebook page and leave a comment below this episode. Tell us uh, if any of these options offended you, what would you consider to be underrated or overrated in animation or sci-fi or action or musical? You know, we'll listen to it. We mm-hmm. might not respond. You might, you're probably not right but we'll listen to you. <laughs> yeah. You never know. Maybe showdown <laughs> in little China. Is that Tokyo, what little Tokyo, Tokyo. In little Tokyo was the movie. Not movies, to be confused. Somebody with met their wife. China. At. Yeah. At first I was like, is that what he's talking about? Nope. What's the one? Oh, golden child. That's the one with Eddie Murphy. Yep. I was thinking about. <laughs> That's not the one I'm no, thinking of. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, all right. Uh, I think that this is a uh, wrapping this one up. Overrated. Underrated. This podcast is underrated. <laughs> A huge thanks to Natalie Deutsch of Hatch Realty for sponsoring this podcast. Folks, if you're looking to buy or sell a home, contact Natalie Deutsch today because Natalie Deutsch is not only a previous podcast guest, she's somebody who's going to care enough to sell your property for top dollar. She's also going to find you the best price possible if you're purchasing a new home. Last year on average, Natalie earned her clients $4,000 over list price on their homes and sold them faster than the market average. On average, Natalie's selling a home every 3.74 days. That's two homes a week. Those numbers don't lie. Find out why Natalie is one of the top agents in this entire market. Get a hold of her today, Natalie at HatchRealtyFM.com. You can also call 701-388-9338 or go on to LiveFargoMoorhead.com. That's LiveFargoMoorhead.com. Read all of her amazing reviews and then listen to her episode of JJ Meets World. Thanks again to Natalie Deutsch of Hatch Realty. That's going to wrap it up for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode of JJ Meets World and would like to help us continue to produce two new episodes every week, you can donate to our Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash JJ Meets World and donate today. Even as little as a dollar a month can go a long way. Visit our website at www.jjmeetsworld.com or hit up our social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the sites the kids are using these days. If you'd like to stay up to date on new episodes of JJ Meets World, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or wherever you consume the podcast that you love. JJ Meets World is produced every week by Tucker Lucas. You can find out more about Tucker's work by checking out www.moonbasemaria.com. If you want to get in touch with your host with the most, go to linebenders.com and you can find direct contact info for JJ. I can't believe that you said that Back to the Future 3 is the worst of all the Back to the Futures. It's just one movie when you really think about it. It's a continual storyline that never stops. It takes place in about eight days of Marty McFly's entire life, and we get to see that. So I don't know why you need to crap on B, uppercase B, 
lowercase t, lowercase t, uppercase f, three. 